All right, what up? This is episode 67 with Brad Clifford. Grateful for Brad and the time he spent with me and Jake on this episode to talk all about mental health, tools for mental health, and uh, how to overcome and get through some of those tough, challenging times in your life. You will love Brad's story. Uh, Tough to hear, but also very enlightening and inspiring. So uh, grateful for Brad. You'll hear from the very beginning that Brad is one of the first non-cyclists we've ever had on the podcast. Uh, Me and Jake found his story, and I I grew up with Brad. He went to uh, Olympus with me, Olympus Junior, and you've probably recognized the name from the time that Brad spent playing football at the University of Utah. So he shares that story and shares what he learned and uh, specifically uh, how he has come through a very challenging mental struggle. So we're grateful for Brad and thankful for the time he spent. All right, big love to Clark Davis, who has helped set up some Zwift club rides the last couple weeks. If you're not on the club team in the Zwift Companion app, ask to be added. That is where all the Zwift rides are being planned. So meetups, they do not go out. You don't get a notification anymore. All of the Zwift rides are taking place inside the club, and the club will send you those notifications when a ride is planned. So Big thanks to Clark. Big thanks to all the ride leaders who are going to be planning and preparing stuff for winter. It's always a fun part of our season. Uh, Beyond that, we are very close to launching kits, team store, and everything for 2023. So uh, watch email, watch GroupMe. All that new information is coming out to the team. So big love to Brad and Jake. Thankful for this episode and the time we spent here together. Hopefully you enjoy it. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast, Brad Clifford. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks Jake, for having me. Jake, I don't know go, if I. What? Go ahead. I don't know if you, I, I said I, I don't know if I can stand with with one that mustache and with uh, Jake's blue eyes. So. <laughs> What's up, Jake? Jake's coming to us live from. We can't call us Sinclair headquarters anymore, Jake. What do we call it? Just the Dino headquarters, man. Dino. Huh. Yeah. All right. But I, I was really hoping that Brad would would show up shirtless on this podcast. So that was <laughs> that shirt's kind of disappointing today. Later. I'll slide in your DMs later. <laughs> Jake, the dinosaur across my office was dressed in a Halloween costume. Is that company approved? That's a, that's a thing, man. That's Is a it? thing. So, huh. yeah. It's pretty cheesy. I actually thought maybe like somebody was messing around with it, but okay. <laughs> company approved. Yep. Yep. Hey, we were just talking to Brad. Um, Brad is the first non-cyclist to join the Miduele podcast. So, Brad, we are honored to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. I feel honored as a person that's probably cycled maybe three times and got so scared that just never going to do it again. But I love you guys for doing it. (laughs) So we're going to tell Brad's story today. It is worth sharing to all audiences. Uh, Brad and I used to walk the halls of Olympus. Although, Brad, I don't know if we were ever there actually together at the same time. No. No. Yeah. But uh, I walked the halls with the Clifford family. You might know the Cliffords. a few episodes ago, Kristen talked about Mary, Brad's mom, and uh, how she rode the Huntsman 140 for her and how Brad's mom uh, fought cancer. Uh, so it was kind of a, a neat emotional story that Kristen told. Um, but from my early days, Brad's always just been an athlete, formidable. If uh, Is that a good word, Bradley? Formidable. I love it, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and recently, although, I mean, I guess it was May. Uh, a story was posted, KSL. Was it Deseret News or was it just KSL? Where was this thing posted, Brad? Yeah, it was KSL. Okay. M- Michelle, yeah. All right, so kind of dug into 
Brad's background and really made a focus of mental health, men's mental health. And um, that's what that's what we want to talk about today or whichever direction Brad wants to take us is a very um, unscripted activity. But uh, he played for the University of Utah 2004 to 2010 with a LDS church mission in the middle. And if you knew anything about Utah football during that time, obviously we skyrocketed into the real world of uh, college football. And uh, what was it? The Brad, so you were a freshman when you guys played in the BCS game. Is that correct? That That's correct. Yep. I was okay. registering that year. Mm -hmm. And then served an LDS mission, came home. Coach Witt was the, uh, the head coach then. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, I, I took this little paragraph from the KSL introduction. It says what most fans probably don't know is Brad Clifford was going through some massive life changes of his own in the middle of all the euphoria surrounding Utah football's success. The walk-on turned scholarship athlete from Olympus High was set several times to have a massive season for the Utes, only to have it torn away in gut-wrenching fashion. One instant in 2008 could have potentially cost Brad his life. Now at age 36, Clifford's using those experiences to try to help other men athletes or not to identify possible men mental health crises before they get out of hand like they did for him. Should I read this quote, Brad? It's good. I would sure. love, I would, Brad says, I would love if my story would impact someone to take action, to show themselves a level of love that they deserve that won't come from anything external that they think exists. The game of football is the greatest teacher of life. The game has evolved, and the generations of men going through it from earlier generations to now is evolving as well. I hope my story, along with hundreds of others like mine, helps someone who is dragging their feet like I was in 2008 to get ahead of it. Bradley, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no, I Jake appreciate and, those words. Jake and Brad have a history, too. Should we discuss that for a sec? Sure, man. Go I ahead, don't know Jake. what Jake's going to say, though. <laughs> Dude, I was, I, I mean, I was uh, just a freshman coming into the U2. So Brad and I played my first, I, I played with Brad my first year in, 20, in 2007 before I served an LES mission. But, uh, dude, I just remember walking into the locker room. I was this young kid, small, but Brad was huge. Like, I, I just, like, it was the level of, like, playing then, I mean, coming from high school to college, obviously there's a big, big jump, but. I didn't realize until you're really in front of them, like how big they are. And Brad obviously was one of the first guys I kind of came in contact with there. And, and I kind of was just, I mean, we didn't talk very much, but I was kind of on a scout team guy. He was doing his thing. And, and, uh, but I guess, I guess the majority of the stories I have with Brad is just being his ultimate punching bag as I was yes. the bag holder, right? He'd come down on kickoff and wreck me or, you know, whatever it was, just, just try to do what I could to, to help give, give Brad a good look. So I love it. Brad, I envision that being like Rudy, just those Notre Dame guys just punishing Jake, Rudy. Jake was not Rudy. He was <laughs> he was far beyond that. No, he was an absolute stud. So no. Jake, you weren't Rudiger, just like dripping with wounds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get pretty beat up at Scout Team, but no, it was fun, man. I think it was just fun to like, I mean, Brad was such a good example for me. Little did he know. I mean, I looked up to him as soon as I got on the U. I mean, he was just one of those guys like, wow, this guy can do it. I can do it. And uh you know, I was just grateful for just being able to watch him and, and him being a mentor for me. So nice. Appreciate that, man. So the Brad, love from you. <laughs> Brad, All maybe let's, let's talk a bit about uh, then you want to just share a little bit about your early. Yeah. Had you always planned on 
this this life course of uh, going to the U and and uh, maybe talk about that for a sec. Yeah, so um, I, you know, I think that many people can relate to kind of the story that I'll tell. But I think that um, you know, when you're in you're in high school and you have a vision for your life, which is probably one of just certain possibilities. The possibility of you know going to college and going to the NFL is always one that I think anyone that plays a sport thinks of as like the next evolution of their life. And so for me at the time, I was honing into kind of what I was good at, um, you know, in high school. And I happened to just you know have a have a great ability to play the game of football. And I um, leaned really heavy into that and and had some exposure at the time. Luckily to um, they don't do them anymore. I think they've changed the names to regional Nike camps. And so I was able to do that with one of my good friends and try and kind of get some exposure. But, you know, I, I think that my idea of what my talent was versus probably the reality was a little bit different. And so I thought, you know, my, my craft didn't stink and I should be going to, you know, at USC and Stanford and all these other ones at the time that were like real big schools that I was going to do these camps at. Um, I happened to not get many scholarship offers other than, um, you know, I was coming down to UNLV and, and University of New Mexico at the time. They had coaching changes. And so those scholarships and those offenses kind of went away. And um, at the time, Urban Meyer had come in and I was not on the radar at all. And BYU, I was, um, but they wanted me to play defense. And so I was adamant that I was going to be, you know, the, the greatest, um, you know, Utah wide receiver ever. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Um, that, that was kind of my sole direction. And what ended up happening is I, I got some scholarships from some smaller schools, but ultimately I wanted to go play at the U and part of that was because of this new offense that Urban Meyer had put in and he had, you know, uh, this spread offense that, that no one had seen kind of like that. And he was leveraging Ben Mo at the time in a way that was, you know, really kind of new and, you know, he had guys like John Madsen that I always looked up to and, and Paris Warren and these guys that played the slot position just different. And I go, oh, my gosh, dude, like Paris Warren is not a 4-3 guy. I'm not a 4-3 guy. I'm big as a wide receiver. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to, you know, fit into this offense and this is great. Even if I'm not on the radar, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make that make that real quick. And that didn't end up happening um, and, and went in and had an awesome, um, you know, freshman year. and exposure to kind of that that realm but it was my first kind of letdown of just kind of reality and um you know i had some challenges with just kind of the identity pieces of, of who i was and trying to figure that out hmm. and so um you know that i think that was and i didn't talk about it in the, in the article but that was kind of my first real kind of identity exposure to like ooh, something's different because uh, up until then, you know, here I am, you know, the the best wide receiver in the state for my age, you know, arguably, and, um, you know, felt like I was deserving of it. And, and the whole world should recognize that. And here I am at Utah, you know, no scholarship, not really getting that <laughs> that type of respect and, and going, you know, what, what, what's going on here, you know, kind of thing. And um, go on my mission, come back. And, and um, as you know, your urban leaves and, and, and Kyle's now the, the head coach and I go through spring as a wide receiver and you know he sits me down and Aaron Roderick sits me down and they're very honest like you know you have talent you can keep working and and you know break into the rotation and and you know you might find some playing time this that and the other um, and 
but there's there might be an opportunity for you to play another position and there i'm, I'm going oh my gosh i'm going to play defense what am i going to do and i sit down with wit and he goes listen man like you you can break the ro rotation i think that you know ultimately it's, your destiny is up to you but i just see so much value in you taking on this tight end position in a way that you know andy's going to run the offense and i go okay what does that mean and you know we walked through that what that looked like and i said okay so here I am, like having to change my identity of what I thought, you know, for so long I, I was right. Again, all my feelings are attached to this kind of identified persona um, that, in my opinion, wasn't my own choosing. And, mm -hmm. and so there was definitely re definite resistance to some of those things. But when I went um, when I went into that year, um, I had the opportunity to, you know, get a lot of playing time and, and see kind of a new reality. And so then I leaned into it and uh, had a lot of promise. And, you know, I had a really good redshirt freshman year, arguably, uh, for the situation. You know, we had some starters, but I got a lot of playing time on offense and, and did a lot. Um, you know, I started on most special teams. And so here I was having, you know, this great run. Um, I get a scholarship because of that. Um, you know, promised by Coach Witt um, if I were to do this. And then I go into 2008, and um, here I am. I've earned my spot. I'm, you know, the starting tight end. We're going into, you know, this this big season. We're playing Michigan at the big house where, you know, we got all these big games, right, coming up. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, it's all culminating. My identity is finally here, right? I can I can see – um, finally, a, a self-worth of acceptance of, of these things of who I am, and I can be what, what I thought at the time happy, right? <clears throat> and so I, I go into that fall camp, and um, everything's going great uh, up until it didn't. And then I started to get some nagging stuff, and Jake can attest, man, you just, you get beat up, and two days, you know, Stuart, you did it as well in high, like high school, like two days is, you know, high school, college, whatever. It's not fun at all. Um, you're, you're getting your, your crap beat out of you and, you know, you're getting banged up. And um, so I always had like, you know, things I was dealing with, right. Working through. Um, and I would always have hip flexor issues. Um, mm -hmm. But this particular instance, you know, I, I remember having some, just probably some maybe too much pain going on and um you know i'd wrap it and do all the things to to get it <laughs> enough to get through practices and and lifts but ultimately you know days were going by and my my knee or i wake up in the morning my knee would be you know elevated i don't know if you can see it it'd be elevated like this like slightly more every day and and then when i put pressure down i you know i'd have this kind of excruciating pain and so um you know, ultimately, I, I, you know, I let the doctors know, like, hey, this isn't really getting any better. And, you know, the response is, you probably tore something, we'll fix it in the season. And then here I am, like, I'm, yeah, I'm good. We'll fix it in the season, whatever. And um, we we get into the, a couple of days later, and in the middle of the night, I just start throwing up bile. And I'm throwing up this yellow bile, and I'm sick, and I can't, like, think straight. And, and um, you know, I call one of the trainers who's who's always on call early at like four in the morning, comes and picks me up. We get in there, they call the doctors. Um, you know, at that point, it's it's beyond what we thought. And so they rush me into the to um, the hospital and I get an emergency MRI. And in the MRI for a hip, um, they, they put a really long needle in and they inject dye so they can see everything. 
And so I go in and I have our doctor, um, Dr. Petron, and I, and I believe one other, one other doctor at the time. And then when I come out, I have um, all the residents, all the fellows, um, you know, other, other physicians and a bunch of people. So it went from like three or four to like, you know, an army of people. And, and they're all, you know, hovered over looking at, because it's a teaching institution. So there's all these people looking and trying to figure out what's going on. And they're talking about stuff. And I'm, I'm over here like, hey, am I get like, do I have cancer? Like what, you know, what's going on? And, and then, you know, finally they, they tell me, hey, you have, you have this, um, you know, you have this thing going on where you have an abscess that's grown way too big. Um, we have to go and remove it. And um, we probably will have to address it in this way. Um, which, and, and it was kind of like in passing conversation, which ultimately, you, you know, we, we want to get you to a place where you can walk again and things like that. And I'm, and then I'm going, Oh, whoa, 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 like, hold walk on, again. Yeah. walk right, again right. and, you know, and, 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 and run again in these kind of conversations. They, they, these were all kind of like hypotheticals of realms of possibilities. And, and I'm going, Oh my gosh. And then um, I think one of the physicians at the time that I ended up working with way after the fact in my, my professional career you know, came in and, and, and then they had a trauma surgeon and they, they figured out they could do a certain um, approach to salvage a lot of those structures. Um, it still would do damage, but it wouldn't do damage to the extent of like, you know, those realms of possibilities earlier. So they rushed me in uh, to have this emergency surgery. Brad, and, hold on. So you're yeah, talking well, about like removing pieces, like, like not there, they can't just go in and cut it out. They're like, oh no, we're going to have to remove pieces of your hip, like actual there's structures that they felt like there's only one way to get there. Got it. And so because of that, that was the assumption is that we can only do it this way, which would then compromise a lot of the musculature, okay. which would, you know, again, like walk well, I should say not walk again, but walk well, um, or, or ever run again kind of thing. Dang so okay. that was, that was a level of like, well, I'm not going to hold on. So like, I'm not going to be an athlete anymore. Right. So that was kind of like, holy cow, like my life is over kind of feeling. So Brad, uh, did this, did this happen just from like excess use? I mean, was just like just so much practice time? I mean, what was really the cause? We, we still don't know, uh, yeah. which is funny. And, and uh, I can say his name, but Dr. Petron and Dr. Aoki, I, you know, the, we, we would joke when I used to work with Dr. Aoki that, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in some of the books, the textbooks, like they, as a case study, they don't have a general consensus of Crazy. why it, 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 I got it in the first place. Um, there's an assumption that maybe I brought it back from Mexico for my mission, um, mm. and, and it, and it sat, sat dormant in my body, and the trauma um, and bleeding and, and whatever might have exacerbated it and created a, a situation for that to grow. But we still don't really exactly know. But I am a case study because the technique they used to access it and get it and clean it and, and clear everything was one that was pretty, pretty dang good and um, saved my career. So um, I, I was really blessed in that sense. But when they rushed me in, so they're, they're, you know, they're, they've now seen this giant encapsulation of abscess. It's huge. And so they need to take biopsy samples first to know exactly what it is. So they, they actually, you know, stab it. And as they, they're doing it, you know, they're getting syringe after syringe you know, big old syringes. And I'm going, Oh my God, like it's over. Like, Oh, thank you so much. I'm good. <laughs> I know, dude. That's only <laughs> a tiny piece of what we're doing here. So they rushed me in, they do surgery. And my, my trauma surgeon after was joking because when they actually got to where they could, you know, create space to get to it, when they 
expanded the space, it just started spewing out. It was, there was so much pressure, it was just spewing out. So wow. they cleared it out, almost a half liter of fluid um, in, 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 my, in my body, you know, and so I, what they told me after the fact is, was, was the, the part where it scared me. They said, if you would have waited probably another 24 hours and toughed it through, you, you, you probably went se- would have gone septic and, yeah. and oh. you very likely could have died. And um, so, you know, here I am, I'm like, oh, grateful I'm alive, grateful that, you know, they've, they've done this thing. And then I go to what I think most people do when they're in that kind of athlete mindset of, um, okay, you know, how, how do I get back, right? Like, how quickly can I get back? So all I could think about was, how do I get this identity back where there was alignment of what I thought I was and my, my world? And so, um, you know, immediately I'm, you know, I'm working out when I can. I have this pick line that's in my, in my um, elbow um, running all the way into my heart that's pumping me, you know, all day with these drugs to keep me from not going septic. And I have it for two weeks on my hip and I'm changing them out. But here I'm like, okay, I can walk, I can do air squats, like all these things. I'm doing like push-ups on the wall and I'm going, I'm going to get back, you know, and play by the end of the season. And, you know, this thing, I'm going to prove, prove everybody wrong. Right. And, and I'm going to get back to this identity kind of thing. And, um, you know, I lost ultimately about 25 to 30 pounds. I think 30 pounds at the highest end. Um, I lost a lot of muscle, um, a lot of mass, right, that I had previously gained to get in that position of this new identity as a tight end. And, um, you know, I think that there was some concern. And again, this is just my perspective. There was some concern on some coaches, but there wasn't like I felt written off by others. And, um, the ones that I felt written off by, and I don't need to go into names or p- people like that. It really affected me. I, I was just like, how, so if, if I'm not this, then I'm not worthy. Right. Because now I'm not this thing. So then therefore you, you don't need me. I'm just, yeah, I'm right. discarded kind of person. And, um, it, it, it broke me. Um, it, it made me, um, you know, think like less of myself for the first time and I went and I went in a pretty dark hole because of it but ultimately came out of it and um got to a got to a place where I had you know had some very strong support networks that I called out you know Kalani Sataki and Morgan Morgan Scally and some of these guys you know beyond my teammates that would make sure I was good and still had that belief and that kind of mindset of you know, all the possibilities of great that can come from it. And Kyle, um, Kyle was always great in this process. Um, but, you know, I got, I got to the place where I, now I'm back. Right. So then I'm like, okay, my identity's back. I'm good. I didn't address any of that dark coldness. I didn't address any of that identity crisis. I didn't address the previous one. I didn't address any of those things ever. And so, um, I got to, I got to this place where now I was like, okay, I'm worthy. So everyone's going to see me and I'm going to get my starting job back and all of these things. And, and we go into the BYU game and I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm on PAT and I'm, and I'm struggling with it. Cause I'm going, I know I'm the best tight end on the field and they're not putting me back and I'm not going to be able to, you know, realize any of this glory kind of thing. Right. Therefore I'm not worthy. Then we go and we, you know, make a run, we play in the sugar bowl and, and even worse. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the opportunity to see out this, you know, career where 
all these high expectations on who I was. I was going to be this amazing, you know, catching tight end, blah, 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 blah. You know, and the news are actually talking about me. And so I'm like, then I'm like, I'm not worthy. Right. So then I got to fight back for some worth. <laughs> and so I go through that off season to earn a, you know, starting position back and ultimately for two years kind of battle in this co-starter position with, with other people. And so, you know, I, I had the ability to, to start many games and, and have, you know, success, but I never addressed this, this whole identity attachment to this perceived thing, because I had never really understood who I was uh, deep down. And, mm -hmm. and so um, I got to 2010 and um, again, had a phenomenal spring and, you know, people are talking about like, Brad might have a chance to go play in the league and blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, here I am worthy again, like all this stuff, you know, like here it's coming, it's coming, coming, coming. And um, we're in a practice and, you know, we're, we're, we're getting heated. Our coaches are getting heated because we're, Jake knows this, man, you get so sick and tired of playing against yourself. Yep. For so, long. so you're just like, you're just swearing at each other and throwing things at each other. And we're in a drill and um, it ends up being this brawl. And Jake, you might've been in it, man. Um we we got in this huge brawl uh, with the linebackers because of me. Um, I, I I remember this. I remember this. <laughs> so Chaz Chaz Walker's talking. Yes. Heat, whatever. And um, you know it is just a day a day in the life of a Utah football player. We're always talking smack at each other. We're always doing one one ups on each other. Whatever. So Chaz is talking smack, and I'm going okay. I'm going to show him. So Chaz was diving at each other's legs. He's such a great player. He knows how to stop anyone in the, in the way that they need to be stopped. So he knew if he just went on my knees, he could, <laughs> he could like not let me cross the goal line. Right. So I'm like setting him up, I'm dropping my head. And as he drops down, I hurdle him and I, you know, score the touchdown or whatever. And I turn around and I chuck the ball at his head and just go like this, you know, I remember so, this dude. I so remember yeah. this. Yeah. So Chaz, Chaz starts like running at me because he Chaz is scrappy at the V and I love him. So Chaz, so I start charging at him. So he hits me and I grab him and I'm, I'm throwing him down and I'm throwing like this haymaker, which was the dumbest thing ever. Cause we have helmets on mm. and he's going down. I'm trying to throw this left hand haymaker and Chaz, uh, Chad Manis jumped on my back. And as I was going, it dislocated my shoulder. And so here I am with a dislocated shoulder. Everybody's brawling. It's so funny, man. Like everybody's fighting and I'm just sucker punching Chaz and his ribs, you know, with my right hand. And we ultimately get it broken up and then the adrenaline wears off and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my, my arms stopped. So they come over, they set my arm and, and I'm like, Oh, you know, thinking none, nothing of it and, you know, rehab it, go through that, that whole summer, everything's fine. And, and think that I'm fine. And again, my, my, my run and uh, we're playing um, New Mexico in our second game and, and Matt Asiata had fumbled on, on the goal line and I'm jumping on it and two 300 pounders jumping back, dislocated again, really bad. Hmm. And so from then on, every game I was dealing with this constant dislocation up until it, it got to the point, I think in our, uh, we were playing Wyoming and I have this, you know, breakout kind of game and, you know, I'm leading receiver for the team. Uh, but at the end of the game, I'm running a dude off on the sideline and dislocate my shoulder again. And it, that one was bad enough where I couldn't play the next the next game. And so here I am with this other identity crisis. And um, in the in the 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 change from 2009 um, uh, to 2010, I had met Beth, who is now my wife. 
and we had gotten married before that season. And so um, I was dealing with at that time, this um, rehab of a shoulder, but also uh, going through a divorce. And, um, you know, so uh, here I was with, you know, these, these dreams of identities of things of I've made it, I'm, you know, I'm a husband and I've found the one um, I've made it and I got the NFL in my future and I was attaching it to so many external things. Cause that was how I was raised. Everything was attached to worth because of an external uh, process. And Beth and I ultimately um, got divorced and when, but we, before then we had gotten separated and Kyle um, you know, did such a good job at kind of allowing me to, to grieve that portion of it and, and keeping me protected, I think, from uh, a couple of days of, of training, which was, you know, you don't do that. And he yep. did. And, and I yep. never would. I'll never be able to repay him for that moment. But um, it allowed me to kind of grieve and get my head back. But the problem is I never addressed these issues. Um, but I could get myself to just kind of coping. And I think m w m what we'll talk about is most men you know, suppress, right? So that's what I did is I, I got it and then I suppressed it and then uh, went through all these um, physical things with my senior year. And up until that seventh game, um, you know, um, I I then had um, had uh, a moment of going, oh my gosh, the NFL is not, is not going to happen. It was the first time my whole life. So here I am, uh, 26, um uh, you know, my, my marriage has failed. Um, and, uh, you know, that it's, it's tough to relive two parts. Um, and that feeling of, um, what am I worth? Um, and, um, when, when you're raised, um, in a place where your worth is tied to these things, um, you're empty. You've got nothing. And um, for me, that was that was really challenging, and I had no way to cope with it. Or um, really, uh, I, I think the word is like tools, right? You know, I had I had zero tools. I had no reference of what this was i had no reference of my whole you know my whole reality is now forced upon and i'm i'm filtering all these experiences differently and i'm going i don't know what to do and um my position coach at the time god bless him man um he he you know he did so much for me um Um, on a personal level, that um, I don't think I um, ever had with another man.
And uh, he he uh, he gave me an opportunity to to build tools and to, to figure out how how to 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 navigate this this part of my life. And um, you know, Kyle Kyle was enormous during this process too. And he, you know, he, he spent a lot of time making sure I was good and, and not good physically, not good as a football player. Um, and, and so did Kalani. Um, but Dave Tram, uh, it's tough, man. Um, he he showed me a level of uh, love from another man that I had never experienced. Um, and so I was able to I was able to get um, some help. I went to the to the U and uh, had the ability to get exposed to. Um, you know, counseling and um, therapy, and it, it was it was good enough at the time um, to help me get get through that part of of where I was at. And but but just having that um, exposure to possibilities um, and having these men in my life that had exposure to possibilities and dealing with things differently. Um, what I talk about in the article is when you're in that hole, it, it, the, the best way to describe it, because I'm a visual, um, visual data person, it felt like I was in a hallway with darkness and I knew that there were doors. I just couldn't see anything. And it felt like there was literally nothing. Um, and those guys became like um, what what I would describe as someone turning on the light on the other side of these doors to illuminate underneath the doors of the hallway. Because then you go, there's a hallway. Then you go, there's doors. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, there's like, it's not just darkness. Even though I'm alone and it's dark and I, it's it feels hopeless at times I can now see. And so that's what those guys did for me was to give me this opportunity to um, really have a, an open framework of like, Hey, I, th- there can be something different. So, um, you know, that, that season ended and um, ultimately ended in very dramatic fashion where I had, you know, rehab, like playing two more games. We played BYU. I have a, a, a pretty you know, decent game, whatever. Um, and then we go into the bowl game and I'm gearing up and I'm still, there's still a part of me that's like, okay, the NFL might, <laughs> this might still be a thing, might, but I know it's very likely and I've come to terms with it, you know, and in week seven, that probably isn't for the first time in my whole life. And we go out and we warm up and I'm like, man, I'm moving good. Like I'm feeling good. I'm about to torch this defense. <laughs> And, you know, put on a show and all this, all these things. And then I, um, I, we go in and we put our pads on and I'm putting my pads on and 
you know, Jake remembers you, you you're so tight as I'm mm -hmm. pulling on my, my shoulder dislocates above my head and um, I can't fake any of the protocols and they're like Brad you're not allowed to play you're, there's no chance we're going to put you out there you can't even move your arm and I couldn't move my arm for about 45 minutes 40 minutes um, and so then it's done right so I'm sat on the sidelines shaky you know shaky Smithson uh, had an injury and, and he's got a you know he's an all-american so he's got a good roadmap to his future and and I just remember sitting on that sideline I couldn't even watch the game I just remember I was in a blank stare my divorce is finalized. Um, I I don't know who I am, and um, I I remember that the next the next week I had surgery on my shoulder on uh, Tuesday, so Saturday, and then on Tuesday I had surgery. And um, you know Robbie Swenson, I see Robbie Swenson, <laughs> and you guys both know him. Nice. And here's here's Robbie's big smile. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, eh, I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm like, well, come on. And, and he, he was going to be in my surgery because he was, you know, selling, he, he worked with those doctors and I, and I'm like, what? So ultimately, um, what, you know, I, I had the surgery and then when I came out of that, you know, I had a couple agents tell me, Hey, you'll, you'll, you'll get some free agent opportunities, blah, blah, blah. You should, you should take it up. And I, you know, I was just, I'm done. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so from that moment, I, um, and I, we can go any direction with this part. That moment, I started what I would consider probably a seven-year process of really diving into all those possibilities because I saw those doors and I opened up a lot of them. And I was able to um, really go through a process of, of figuring out this journey I am where now I'm very active in social media because um, I'm so passionate about um this experience for men um that isn't talked about and it's not football it's not um it's not you know my, my particular story with football it's every man's particular story with identity and it's every man's particular story where they come to a crossroads where they they've they've now had such an external world process that they hit a point where they don't know what to do because their whole life, they've been associating their worth, their happiness, their joy to these, this world out here. And they had never, they've never gone inside to process things. And so um, that's what led to a six year journey where that statement I made at the end is that, you know, if you can tap into that, like internal referral process and, and get some guidance there, there's many ways to get there and to get support, you're able to create a world that's joyful and happy just because you exist. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's where um, a lot of what I'm doing now um, in building for the future is with a goal in mind to save a million men's lives. Um, and that's, that's my purpose in this life um, for this next evolution of my life is to um, impact um, a million men's lives so that they can, find the hope that I found um, and have a different perspective on life in there. So that, sorry to take up so long, but I appreciate you guys letting me kind of tell that story in its fullness. So Brad, you, you've said here that um, says Brad wants men, particularly young men to understand that taking time for their mental health does not make them less of a man. 
Needing help does not make a man weak. In fact, it makes him stronger. Can we talk about that for a second? When you when you say taking time for mental health, um, I, I would say that there are enough people listening to this recording that they are connecting with what you're saying. What What is it that you are going to say to anyone who's like, no, I am lost. Like, where do I even start? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's a great question. I think that the, the first place to start is, is to recognize that um, a lot of the values that you've created in your life have more than likely been um, a result of other people. Um, and what I mean by values, it's the things that are important to you. Um, and when you can get to a place where you understand that yourself inside is one of the ultimate value and connect with that process, you're able to sit with yourself and get familiar with yourself rather than a perceived external uh, view of what do others perceive of me? Um, what are all these things Am I a good little boy, right? <laughs> am I a good little boy because I did this, that, and the other? Or am I worthy because I'm a football player? Or I'm a, just insert job title? Or I'm insert um, X, Y, Z, whatever that is. You know, it could be, you know, religious, professional. It could be relational. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, the the moment that you go, you your value and is connecting with yourself, your life perspective changes. And we as men are raised in a in an environment um, where most of the time, not all the time, because there's many men now that, that aren't raised like this, but some of the time there may be a situation where your environment is telling you to do things and you're just doing them to fulfill the needs of other people. And then you get to a place in your life, you're like, okay, hey, what are actually my needs? What are actually my wants? What are actually my values? And most men, until they hit this kind of breaking point, they don't ever do that. And so that, that's what I mean to where you start is to, to connect yourself for the first time. Um, and there's, there's many ways to do that. Um, un unfortunately, I think when I was raised, things like meditation, um, things like you know, um, certain activities or, um, you know, certain type of, um, you know, therapy, things like that. We're always things that we're looked at as like, oh, that's what crazy people do. That's not what a man does. Like men just drive through man and bust through walls. Like that's all we do is we, <laughs> we see blood and we lick it and we just keep moving on. And um, the reality is, is like, you're so much stronger as a man, if you, if you actually dedicate time to connecting and, and trying to figure out who you are deep inside, yeah. if you can do that, then everything else is just a byproduct of that. So where you start that. is reconnecting to yourself. Nice. You know, Brad, you apologize for telling your story. I would thank you for being so honest. That was not easy. I mean, I don't know if you knew you were going to go there when you agreed to be on the show, but man, that was, uh, was powerful. So thank you. Appreciate it, man. Sure. Jake, thoughts? You know, Brad, it, it, it touched me that, I mean, kind of talking about Dave Schramm, because Dave Schramm was my coach when I first showed up to you and 
it's interesting to kind of see your view. And then I was thinking about, man, like, what was my interaction with him? And, and my interaction, he was tough. He was hard. Yeah. I mean, he was really hard with you, but the, what I loved about him is just, and, and maybe he was this way with you, but he just, he just gave it to you straight. He told you the mm-hmm. honest truth and it was, he wasn't beating around the bush, but I mean, he, he really took the time to really get to know you and understand you as a person. And then, you know, take your strengths and, and excel on those strengths and also take your weaknesses and try to build those weaknesses into strengths. And so I, mm. I thought your story was super unique. I mean, I, I loved hearing that, that relationship with you and him. And I mean, I, it, it made me had, I, I had to reflect a little bit on mine, be like, okay, I think I had a similar, but he was a scary man. I'm not going to lie, but now I've yeah. thought about it. I'm like, dude, that dude is, he was one of the best coaches I've ever had in my life. Yeah. He, he knew how to push people and he was hard on, 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 on all of us in many ways, but um, he did shoot straight and he, rec- he recognized the times where I had some things. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm getting talked to about this. And he, he would just be like, you need to do it. Right. You know, that, 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 that's the level of, and I knew he cared. Um, and he, he, you know, other people have different experiences. I know guys that absolutely love urban Meyer and yeah. I don't, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> But I, I learned so many things from him and, and I am grateful for him. I do feel that gratefulness for him um, from the things that I learned from him. But I never had a personal relationship with him, nor did he invest in one with me. So, you know, th- that's just uh, objectively just kind of how I look at it. But, you know, we all have our these different experiences. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing that um, I hope people can understand is that there are so many possibilities. There's so many possibilities that we don't consider in our lives. And um, for men, when you get to that breaking point and, and it may or may not come, and I want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm very open about that. It may not come for some person. Some person may be, you know, sailing. They have, you know, a little bit of choppy waters, but they can course correct fast or they have the exposure or tools that allow them to navigate through life and they keep compounding on that. And I love that possibility for those people. But my objective and my purpose on saying I want to save a million men's lives is I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to and I want to touch and I want to, to bring this value to the men like me, the men like me that didn't have the tools, that, that didn't have those perspectives, that didn't have um, the clarity, if you will, um, that instead of having to go to the dark hallway and, and, and be completely hopeless, that when the dark hallway approaches that particular person, they're already prepared to know that there are a lot of lights under doors. And, you know, why that analogy is so important is because ultimately to get into that doorway, you you have to go and open the door. And I want to make that door more accessible, more appropriate, um, and okay for people to do. and, and, and I think that that's the, the conversation that, that needs to be happening more um, because I think there's a stigma, um, you know, it, it, this can be a double-edged sword, right? Is because we're in a, and it's a good topic of conversation too. And it's something that I have a lot is, you know, it's great to be vulnerable. It's, it's important to be in momentarily vulnerability uh, especially if it's subjective, if you're going through a hard thing, right? Specific thing. Um, you know, we're all safe and healthy in this, in this conversation, right? I'm going to say this mm-hmm. up front, but let's say that um, some random stranger got in a bike crash, right? And they're going through a thing, right? And let's say they can't ride their bike for a year 
right? Yeah. Um, what what may or may not trickle into that person is now my value of my value has been a, you know affected by an external force. Yes, my self worth is now depleted. My therefore my happiness is that now depleted. Therefore, I'm not able to show up as my fullest self. Yes, right. That's the level of vulnerability to deal with a thing. But there's an also another side of it that I think is starting to trickle in um, that is important as well. Um, you know, some of my good friends, John Madsen that I played with, he's one of my closest friends and John's very good on social media of, of in my opinion, he's the best in, in talking about the full spectrum of these, of these things um, in, in a very public way that gets criticized a lot but he's very good at it. And what, you know, how he talks about it is there is a level of identity that we could not saying any of us or any of the people that are listening to this, but that someone could take an attachment to an identity of vulnerability. And then that's the opposite end of it, right? Is if only you're vulnerable and only you have an identity of being vulnerable or an identity of, you know, Hey, I received help. And I received joy. Therefore, I want to keep reproducing depressive, you know, situations in my life or anxiety driven situations in my life or, you know, toxic people in my life. You know, I think many people have friends that, you know, may come to you and be like, man, I always date the crazy chick <laughs> or my friends are always like this. And uh, it's funny because you know, if you were to see that person go to different places, they're like, I always, I always find that crazy person. And it's like, well, wow. you know, that's a whole conversation of what I'm talking about. Right. Is there's an, an unconscious portion of this that is important to deal with when it comes to identity values and the things that we want out of our lives. So I'll go back to that, that example we were talking about. It is very important to be vulnerable in those moments. If there's something that's resisting like if you're not okay dealing with that situation if someone broke their leg right it would be crazy of any of us in my opinion to be like dude you don't need a doctor you know like you're fine like your bone heal itself yeah. your, your bones protruding out of your leg you're fine dude like just rub some dirt on it right like i think that's like you're, you're probably gonna die you know you're probably gonna get bacteria infection and die like we would not suggest that and so my my point is, is if someone's you know an, another man i think this is the importance of us showing up for other men is if you have a friend or, or someone in your life that's going through a thing and they say i feel lost it's important to show up for that person um and provide tactical value for them but you cannot get someone to do it for themselves is the point. And you don't, you, at the same time, you don't want to create an identity of the only way that they're going to receive love externally is if they are vulnerable either. It's reconnecting them to their inner self and, and finding that source of true love and happiness, which, which comes from inside. I love that. So good. So good. Brad, this has been wonderful. Um, I have one, I have a screen capture here from you that I'm going to share. And then if, then if there's anything else, that'd be awesome. But this, this is me, the end, this was really yeah. impactful for me. Uh, this is a Mark Twain quote. It says that the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why, mm. uh, is this you, Brad, so good. have you found out, is this, is this your, and you mentioned a million men, is this, I mean, what's next for Bradley? 
Yeah, it is, man. Um, I, you know, I think back, I think there were times, you know, especially for probably two or three years after I was done playing of like, why did that happen? Hmm. You know, um, I've, I've gone through um, a, a long process of conscious things that can work and conscious things that, that help support people. Um, you know, I've had an incredible amount of injuries that came from football and it's led me to an unconscious and conscious journey, journey of healing. And so when I talk about those million men's lives, the next thing for me is to continue to impact men on that unconscious level and provide conscious and unconscious tactical ways to improve as a man, um, and, and as a woman, but m my purpose is with men specifically but also on that, that kind of conscious level of bodily healing too. And so um, myself and a, and a business partner, we're, we're going to create, um, we're going to launch here pretty soon, a, a healthcare company that um, I'll probably make a little more public coming up nice. as well as a, a friend of mine and, and, and um, a, uh, one of my old teammates, actually, we're, 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 we're creating an, an experiential unconscious uh, process for people specifically men to get a jump start on this to help people turn on those lights again and get reconnected through a process of um, what we've built to reconnect to that inner self again um, which will allow them to see so many different possibilities and, and, and leverage different tools and people that are out there but give them the, this extension version of themselves where they want to do so many things and they're so excited about it rather than living a suppressive living a grind through living a sacrifice through type of life hmm. nice so that's Jay? that's what's next Love so it, good man. so Jay? good you Final know I, I, yeah no i mean i, I think I, I feel very uplifted i mean i think it's been so neat for me to be on here and see you know i, I saw brad in 2007 to kind of now see this transformation this refinement that's happened and now i mean just hearing his story today i've, I've been a follower of you brad for a while and even on social media, but, uh, you know, I, I shared this in my podcast too, a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, you shared a quote and remember you, you posted a picture of this young, this old couple holding hands on the plane. You get, you were leaving yeah. that day. And, yeah. um, it touched me that day because I was, you know, obviously having a rough day that, that day. So it just, it was kind of coincidence, but, you know, you mentioned in there, the most savage of men are the most loving men. And mm -hmm. I've kind of been, been thinking about that ever since. And it's so true, dude. I mean, like you, you talk about being vulnerable and like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like you should tell men you love them. I mean, it's it, every yeah. time I'm on the phone with somebody or that, I'm like, Hey, love you, bro. Hey, appreciate yeah. the heck out of you. You know what I mean? Like that <laughs> yeah. goes so far. Right. So again, I yeah. couldn't agree more with that analysis and just thank you for it because it's, it's stuck with me ever since you've posted it, but just something I've tried to use in my daily life moving forward. So anyways, oh, man. just mad kudos for you, man. Freaking love you, dog. I lo love you too, guys. That's, right. that's it. That's the biggest thing is that creation is totally tied into to love. And um, I think that was, if I could summarize all things, man, all things, it's that you can choose a life of resistance, which is tied to fear and external pressures, or you can actually create a life of love and abundance that comes from that, that, that creation place. And, and so I, I love that that touched you because I'm trying to impact it's funny, man. I'm, one thing I'm really passionate and I've created an identity now, um, actually for myself in, in a value is, is this identity of, of a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu 
you know, middle-aged man, right? And I do it a lot. So I'm choking out guys and I'm getting choked out. I'm actually going to go during my lunch break to go get some instruction because I've been traveling all week. But it's so fun to be around men, what you're talking about, Jake, men that you can go and scrap and literally put each other to the point of where you're going to pass out, right? You're choking right. someone out or you could break their limbs off, right? But then it, then when it's all done, you, you, you give each other a hug. And I tell every single one of those dudes that I roll with, I love you. And I, and I mean it. And right. I mean it because I know what that energy brings and the associations that I have with my life, it's all tied to that creation kind of love element. Um, and, and some, some might be listening and think, oh, that's kind of woo-woo-y, but Jake, as you, as you can it's tell, true. man, it's, it's the only truth. That's it's because truth you mean is. it. You truly mean yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so love you guys. You. And I appreciate, love you, Brad. appreciate you letting me be on this. Brad, when jujitsu unravels for you, I can't wait to see you on a road bike. <laughs> We'll see if I'll, I'll I'm, that might not be prioritized on my, my actual values that I choose. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe okay, one day, fine. Okay. Maybe one if you want to really suffer, we'll take you out on a ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lovingly suffer. I love uh-huh. it. Yeah. We'll hug Only at the with top. You two. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah.